Several years ago, there was a cell phone company that had a national campaign, and the cell phone company basically based their entire campaign on one guy going around with a cell phone repeating these words, can you hear me now? Good. And he just repeated that over and over again. And their, their point was that with our cellular company, when you sign up with us, you get a place where you'll never have to say that. You can always count on a good signal. I want to tell you that in a lot of ways, I feel like the subject we are discussing on Sunday nights, which is we all in 2015, we're discussing training the 12. But in this series, I'm specifically working on training the 12 in prayer. and What Jesus taught the disciples about how to pray and the example that he set for them and the teaching that he gave on prayer. We know that Jesus, of course, was a wonderful prayer. We talked about that last week. There wasn't anything in the world the disciples asked to know from him. They specifically said, teach us, except in the area of how to pray. Well, I, I am excited about this series, but to be quite frank and to be quite honest with you, I really struggle with this series. Because personally, I am not a good prayer. I'm just a person who I focus so much on the doing that the praying is something that I really have to take a disciplined approach to, to make it work. I, I don't know where that comes from. I, I don't know if it's just my personality I don't know if, you know, when I was raised growing up, I, I don't know if it, where in my DNA that comes from. But to speak quite frankly and honestly, prayer for me is a struggle. And working through this series, I hope will not only help us grow in our personal prayer life, but also help us become better at doing it. I think the biggest struggle I have is sort of that back to that Verizon commercial. Uh, no, no shameless plugs there. Uh, just that, that can you hear me now, sort of feels like, sort of feel like prayer is just speaking into the ether. I don't know where my words go, how effective they are, uh, what it takes to get a response, what happens when there's no response. It's frustrating. Um, and so I think most Christians come to that point at some point in their spiritual walk. Now, some people move through it better than others. My wife is a wonderful prayer. It's one of her spiritual gifts. I'm convinced that why, that's why she and I are married. She reminds me continually about the value of prayer and to, to pray not only about things, but with people and for people and together as a married couple and as a family. And so she's a great encouragement to me, and some of you are as well. But just to be very honest about where we are with that, uh, in my personal walk, uh, I can relate very much with what George Mueller said. The less we pray, the less we desire to pray. And uh, I know what it is to struggle with that. So if you're here and you struggle in the same way, but you would never say so in a, in a religious setting or a church setting, you need to know I can identify with you. Last week we talked specifically about Jesus uh, training the twelve and what he the example that he set for us in the Lord's Prayer, what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. I think it's better, more aptly called the the disciples' prayer. And we kind of summed it up, although it's in different places. We summed it up with four basic principles. One was love God. Number two was honor God. Number three was ask for what you need. 
the physical needs, spiritual needs. And number four was to do as you ask, to be consistent with your prayer life. Tonight, we're going to get specifically into what I call the doctrine of prayer. And um, just a very honest confessional, when I see the word doctrine, it usually makes me want to fall asleep. It is, you know, it's kind of a boring word. So if you don't like the word doctrine, the word teaching also there works. But I've got all these D words in the series, and you preach in series, you've got to make them all sound the same, I guess. So we're going to talk about doctrine. What we're really talking about is what Jesus taught on prayer. And so if we work through that together, just be thinking of how, what Jesus specifically taught to the apostles in prayer. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, never let the promise rust. Draw the word of promise out of its scabbard and use it with holy violence. Think not that God will be troubled by your importun- sorry, your importunately reminding him of his promises. He loves to hear the loud outcries of needy souls. It is his delight to bestow favors. He is more ready to hear than you are to ask. The sun is not weary of its shining, nor the fountain of its flowing. It is the nature of God to keep his promises. So when we look about what Jesus taught in prayer, specifically, we're going to start by this idea that God keeps his promises. The first thing that we understand from Jesus about that is that he hears. This is the first A number one, I guess, A one. God hears. The scripture tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I that we talked about that a little bit last time. I was thinking about why it was that Jesus took special painful steps to step away from the crowd, to step away from his uh, disciples And to be by himself. And I I think the answer is to focus. It wasn't that God couldn't hear Jesus' prayer in the midst of a crowd or in the midst of a teaching. He can hear all the time. But the problem is that when we need to focus, we have so many things in the way. And that gets true the more technology we get. We just have a hard time being still. We're easily distracted. God is not that way. God hears everything. Uh, You remember in Matthew chapter 21, uh, this is not the beautiful picture of Jesus that we'll see in Sunday school most of the time. This is an angry Jesus where he is making a whip out of cords. He is driving the sellers and the, the merchants out of the temple court, the courthouse, the temple courts, and he is angry. What's he angry about? He says, my father's house is a house of prayer. And he gets, he's really, this just wound Jesus up so much. Because the problem was, it had become the, the, the temple, the place where they, remember last week talk, we talked about that prayer, that prayer was largely temple-centered and priest-led. And yet when they came to, to come to this holy place, free of distraction, 
There was all these distractions. They got to think about how much money they have and what the exchange rate is and, you know, how am I going to make all this work? And what they had done is brought the world into what was supposed to be a holy place. And God, or Jesus needed them to to be understanding that God hears them and that they need to be hearing God. If you'll... Follow along in your Bibles, you turn with me to John chapter 11, verses 41 and 42. John records here a very interesting scripture. He says, <clears throat> this is uh, when he has raised Lazarus. Of course, Lazarus is not raised at this point. He's dead. But he, he says this little prayer that John records for us. This is very interesting. He says, verse 41, So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus proclaims his public prayer to his father to proclaim two things. Number one, I want them to believe. Number two, I want them to know that you always hear. Uh, That is not true with you and I. Um, If you want to know how well I don't listen, you can ask Christy. There are many times when, I mean, I tell her, I'm just one, I need, I run on one track. I'll ask her a a yes or no question, and she'll give me a whole story. And I'll just say, you're off my track. I need need to know yes or no. I'm not thinking outside the box here. And and her frustration is that I'm not listening to her, right? God, I think he is understanding of our listening handicap, if you will, but God always hears. And, and keep in mind here, we're not saying that he hears, you know, someone gets up and prays a beautiful public prayer. The, the words that they are saying, the air that's moving over their vocal cords uh, across their, their tongue and over their lips into the microphone, producing electric signal, vibrating speakers that vibrate our eardrums. All of that is for our benefit. What, God's he- what God hears of that prayer is what's coming out of here. It's no mistake that the first part of the word heart is here. That is the nature of God. And so whether it's publicly or privately, whether it's out loud or in silent agony, God always hears. I know sometimes we come to points where we wonder, is he hearing? But he does. And Jesus confirmed it. The Bible confirms it. And we know the nature of God is that he loves his children. Number two, God appreciates boldness. If you're turning, following along in your Bible, you're going to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. Now, this is... In my text, the the heading over Luke 11 is Jesus' teaching or Jesus' doctrine on prayer. So we're getting a little bit away from the nature of God and more exactly into the teaching on prayer as it relates to um, Jesus and the apostles. Verse 5, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, 
friend, uh, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine has a journey to come, <clears throat> has, sorry, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. I believe that God deeply appreciates boldness within his children. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us come therefore boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find mercy and grace in time of need. C.S. Lewis once said, or wrote rather, Who dares awaken the king in the middle of the night for a glass of water? Only a child of the king. This is what I appreciate about children, especially when you're at the stage of life where I am, uh, that you note quite often their boldness. They're willing to say things that are true that are not necessarily appropriate. They are very bold. Grace was standing in line with Christy. One day, I think it was at Walgreens or somewhere, and uh, she saw a man, and she said, Mommy! That man looks like Santa Claus. And uh, the man didn't appreciate that uh, commentary. Children are bold in how they speak and how they act. And uh, it is no coincidence then that God, when, when we talk about prayer, asks us to be like children. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 Paul writes to Timothy, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I think we pray too timidly and far too frequently for Jesus. If we would stop, instead of worrying, instead of wrapping our mind up in knots of anxiety... If we would cast upon to him our burdens and truly do it, I believe we'd worry and be less, far less stressed than we are or that people of God ought to be. If we would stop gossiping and, and just sharing everybody's business about things which are of no, no business of yours, and to genuinely pray for other people who are hurting. And I don't mean in the Christian way of doing it, where you gossip about somebody and then spiritualize it by saying, we need to pray for them. But I mean just shut your mouth and open your heart and start praying. I believe the kingdom of God would look much more like the kingdom of God if we used prayer for that which it was intended to be bold. There's this interesting verse in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. <clears throat> One of those parts of the early church um, that I, I long for, sometimes I see not as frequently as I would like. Acts chapter 4, verse 31 says, When they had prayed, 
the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, the the byproduct of praying boldly is acting boldly and living without fear and living without anxiety or knowing that we have a Father who loves us. Oh yeah, and He happens to be the King. Number three, we learn about God that He is good and that He cares. I told you that I struggle with praying. I just have always struggled. When I was the first time that I really wanted to test prayer was when I was a student at Oklahoma Christian. And actually it was during the time when they had they used to have a lectureship. And they they still do, but during the lectureship they'd have all these different speakers. And this speaker, uh, the class that he was teaching on, he he went to the scripture I'm going to go to, Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Let's just go ahead and turn there. And he, this was the, his whole text was from uh, the second part of, of the teaching from Luke chapter 11. So I say to you, verse 9, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It is one of those uncomfortable scriptures that we sort of explain away. Well, yeah, there's conditions to that. You know. And the, the whole reason for explaining it away is because we don't believe it. But what if I ask and I don't receive? What if I knock and the door isn't opened? What if? I can't contend with all the what ifs in a sermon. I just say I think we ought to give more credit to Luke chapter 11. So I'm at Oklahoma Christian, and I'm really challenged by this class. And that's basically what the, the speaker said. He said, you ask. We, don't, we aren't bold enough even to ask. So I'm, I'm going through the lectureship, and they have all these booths in the, in the student center where people are selling books. And I'm kind of a book nerd. Um, and the problem with, with my situation at that point was I was a college student. I didn't have any money. And... Uh, I had a, there were there were several books that I picked up. Man, I would just that would be awesome to be able to buy that book and read it. And so I thought, why? Well, I just came out of this class. I'm going to put it to the test. And I got that guy's name. And so if it doesn't work out, we'll I'll go find him. So I 
Yeah, I still remember this very clearly. I went to uh, my dorm room that night, and I picked out the books, you know, that I knew, and they were going to be about $35. And I went to the little cashier place, and I, you know, I said, how much will these books be with tax? And it was like $38.96. And I didn't have it. I was going to OC on scholarship, you know, and, and so there was no extra at this point. $38.96 might as well have been $38 million. I didn't have it. So I went back to my dorm room, not with the books, not the story. Um, and I just prayed. I opened up my Bible to Luke chapter 11, and I said, God, you, you know, you know I struggle with this one. I said, but you thought it was important enough to write down. To record that your son said this. And I believe it's true. So I don't know how you're going to do it. But I need $38.96 for the books. Now you say, well, that's, you know, I don't know if we get into this whole area of theology. And I just prayed that prayer. I just kept praying, hey, God, you know, when I think of it, I'd say, hey, still need the books. If you can provide $38.96 for the books, that would be wonderful. And so um, I worked in the mailroom. That was my campus job. And uh, I was on the shift a day or two later. was, I think, the last or next to last day of the lectureship. And a gentleman comes by and he says, hey, I'm here with the lectureship. I've got a, a booth. And I need someone to pack it up and, and ship it back to where I'm from. And he says, it's going to take a little time. There's a lot of stuff to pack up and put everything together. Do you think you could do that? And I said, yeah, that's no problem. That wasn't really in my job description. He said, you know, I'm going to give you a little money for your trouble. And it was $40. Now, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't a loaves and fish kind of moment where all of the OC campus was like, hallelujah, the Lord is working. That was an individual confirmation for the first time that I really can remember that I tested God if he was listening and he listened. And I went back and I circled that in my, in my regular Bible. I have that verse still circled because I still believe that God is good and that he cares for his children. And I can't answer all the what ifs. I, I just believe and know that God is good. And if I'm evil, and I am, and still when I go away on a trip, I think of my children and get them a little gift. Or still once a year I go crazy like the rest of the world, buying gifts that my children don't need, that they'll forget about by mid-January. If I, though I am evil, can do that, why don't we have more faith in our Father who is good? My gifts as a father are imperfect. Sometimes they're really not in the best interest of the child. But God is good and his gifts are good and perfect, James tells us. Psalm chapter 1, verse 18, 118 verse 1 says, God is good. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 
if you want a qualifier. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Um, there are people who look at various things in life and say, Boy, this is a blessing from the Lord. Well, may or may not be a blessing. Here's how you test whether it's a good and perfect gift from God. Does that, does that blessing come with any additional sorrow? I mean, if you have the house of your dreams and drive the car of your dreams and you're in debt up to your eyeballs, that's not a blessing of God. Because that's going to bring you extra sorrow. The blessings of God bring no sorrow. God's gifts are good and perfect, just as he is. So now that Jesus has taught about God in prayer, now he needs to teach us about us in prayer. Number one. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. This is the, the verse that we, sort of been the theme verse for this particular sermon. And this is almost parallel to the one we read in Luke 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. The ability to ask, in my estimation, is of utmost importance. It's to see if your will, and more importantly, if God's will can outlast the door. We knock until the hinges fall off. <clears throat> James says... In James chapter 4, verse 2, I'm not going to read the whole verse, but the part of it that I want to focus on, he says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Why ask? People will ask. Why even bother? If God knows everything, why is, is isn't prayer kind of a, a moot point, doesn't it? I mean, if God knows that I need the $40 for the books, then why ask? Why can't he just provide? Asking shows that our trust is in God. And that we believe that God is the source of all good things and, for that matter, all answers. When we ask, we are, we are putting faith in him and trusting that he can provide. This last Wednesday night we talked about Abraham in our class. And Hebrews 11 says that Abraham, though he had received a son and God had asked him to sacrifice him, Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. God, uh, even in that moment of, of severe, uh, a, a faith test that I cannot even begin to wrap my mind around, Abraham trusted that God was still the answer. God provide a sacrifice, and he did. Now, asking always leads to an answer, and there are three answers. You know them. Yes, no, or wait. And we don't really like the last two. But sometimes the best answer that God gives us is one of the last two. My good friend Jason Lawrence, his dream is to start a Christian camp that is self-propagating. 
In other words, it, it runs a business of, of renting out for wedding chapels and, and uh, weddings. And, and that money that's brought in from that funds a camp, a Christian camp for, for kids to go through. And he's called it Camp Sycamore. And it's going to happen. Jason, <laughs> Jason just will not, he doesn't have the quit in him. He has planned it. He's prayed about it. He's got a group of, of men together that are the board to help process things. And Jason, I mean, you know, he, he's going to have to raise several million dollars to buy land for his plan. But he trusts and he waits and he prays. He found the perfect piece of land. I mean, it was ideal. Perfect views, perfect buildings. And it was, I don't know, $3 million or something like that. And man, he was all excited. He, he was like a fat kid in a cupcake factory. I mean, it was, it, he was raring to go. My apologies to fat kids. I am one. He was all excited. He said, God's going to answer. God's going to provide. Here we go. It's so exciting. And he couldn't get a single person to write a check. He couldn't even come near it. And he was so frustrated. And then the person who bought it was some Eastern religion guru who was going to have people out to that place and teach them the ways of this Eastern religion, this false god. And he was really down about it. I mean, he just was frustrated. You could tell. He said, why would the God of heaven allow this beautiful piece of property to not go to his glory and his honor? Where were God's people in this? Why didn't anyone step up? You know, he, he was just struggling. And I said, well, Jason, I, I don't know. You know anytime you get into the why God, you get into dangerous territory. So God said no on that one. And then several months later, there was a torrential amount, I mean, just billions of gallons dumped on this mountain where this property was. And it was covered. I mean, I don't know. Brian, what was it? A couple of feet just of mud all the way through, just completely. I mean, can you imagine if he had gotten this property? If he had gone on his own and you just say, I'm going to make this happen. And then he'd been in a piece of land that was just overwhelmed with cleanup and all sorts of fiscal liabilities. Sometimes the best answer God can give you is no. I have something better. And I also like to kind of think that God, the true God of heaven, kind of put this other God in its place. But when you ask, God will answer. He always will. He may answer yes. He may answer no, or he may answer wait. And I can tell you as a personal testimony, I have gotten all three. And every time, the answer was always right. Number two, God needs us to be humble. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, tells us the story. Jesus told the story of two people. We talked about this one in class, too. The Pharisee and the tax collector. And he said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, he said, and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple 
to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, as a tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified for, before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God needs us not only to ask, but he also needs us to be humble. The verse on your screen there is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Which Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Our attitude of prayer ought to be keenly aware that he has the answers, that he is in control, and that we are not. And that is the one, I mean, I don't care what, there's lots of positions of prayer to pray in, but that's the, the main one, is to be humble. I love this picture. Think about it. Peter says, humble yourself under the hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. And I love this picture of God having you safely protected like a four-year-old carrying a butterfly. That you're protected under his hand. And at the same time, you are lifted up by his hand if you are humble. And God will answer and give you the things which you need. And to the things which you ask for, which are not in your best interest, he will say no or he will say wait. Number three, don't ever, ever give up. Ask, be humble, and don't give up. Now, for this one, we need to go to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at the verses right before uh, the ones that we just read. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, and yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. So that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find such faith on the earth? 
Jesus pointed out widows a couple of times. And widows were people who had to rely on God. They didn't have a husband or regular income. I mean, their whole sustenance in that society had to be the Lord. Is it any different with us? Or should it be any different with us? Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Ladies, you talked about being joyful in hope this past weekend. I think all of us have learned, if we've been a Christian for more than 10 minutes, to be patient in affliction. My question is, are we being faithful in prayer? And when we pray, are we being like the Pharisee or the tax collector? Are we thinking only of ourselves? Are we praying also for and with others? Persistence shows our priorities and our passions. We, if you have children, you know this. My children ask me for something. Typically, uh, if it's just beyond, uh, well, I'll give you an example. Tyler asked for a pocket knife. He's a 10-year-old boy, reasonable request. Um, the problem is when I was about five, I put a knife in my eye. So I have a bit of a jaded viewpoint on knives uh, walking around with one good eye. And I explained that to him. I said, I, you know, he kept asking and kept asking. And I knew he was persistent. I knew he really wanted one. And I said, uh, you're going to have to be patient with me, son, because, you know, of, of my background, I, it's just a little bit harder. <laughs> so God gave an answer to Tyler's prayer. Uh, his grandfather <laughs> gave him a pocket knife. <laughs> Don't give up. Be persistent in your prayer. God will find a way. <laughs> when we, uh, 14 years ago, um, 15 years ago now, got the call that Northside was looking for a youth minister, um, I mean, I think Christy, when I got the call, Christy had packed up the apartment and bought the ticket. I mean, she was ready to get back home after being 1,600 miles away from her family. And I said, I still got to get the job. <laughs> and uh, I was a pretty inexperienced youth minister, and uh, you know, I, I didn't know if I, had, if I could make the cut, quite honestly. Um, but... We remember the story from Luke chapter 18. So I took that one literally too, which is, is crazy what happens when you take the Bible literally. And I just said, you know, I'm, this is Toby's theology. Okay, let me step back. Steve warned me about opinion theology. So I'll just tell you this is mine. I'm not sure I've got it all worked out yet. I think there are things in which God has a specific will. I mean, things he wants to accomplish, he needs certain people. Paul's going to be my missionary to the Gentiles. I don't want you to go here, I want you to go there. I mean, I think he, he has areas of specific will. that He still has to work through our free will. But I think there are other areas where he doesn't have a specific will. You know, Toby can be a youth minister, Phoenix, Wichita, Canada, Nicaragua, wherever. You know, that's fine, as long as he's doing the job. And I think in those areas where God doesn't have a specific will, we can use the persistent widow approach. That's just wear God out. And that's what we did. 
we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we didn't give up. We just kept praying that we would get the, the job to come to Northside. Um, we just we just wore God out. And I can't say that every situation is that that God has that approach. God may have a different specific will in your case, but maybe there's some areas when your life you, know, you could be a wonderful Christian in this state as to that state, this job is that job. You want something, go for it. Pray about it. Wear God out, if indeed you think you can. Put it to test. Be faithful in prayer. Last one. It's more powerful than you think. Um, I was going to go through all the scriptures, but we're running out of time quickly. So, Matthew chapter 21 is a story of Jesus going to this fig tree and wanting some some figs and not being able to get any. And so he curses the fig tree. And then they go into the city and they come back out and they see this wilted fig tree. And the apostles are like, did you see that? He killed the tree. Yes, he's not a tree hugger. So he kills this tree and they say, how did you do that so quickly? And Jesus said, his answer, this is funny, he says, you can do it too. Don't be amazed at this. It's really more powerful than you think. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through through 29, Mark describes the healing of a boy with an evil spirit. Now the story enough is interesting. The disciples... Verses 18 and 19, the the father says, I ask your disciples to cast out the demon. And they were not able. And go on down to the story, verses 28 and 29. His disciples, of course, privately, where this is less embarrassing, they say, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, verse 29, this is a verse you want to highlight. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And some versions say prayer and fasting. Now that's interesting to me. That Jesus would make note. Of course, they're, they're fighting demons. I get that. But I wonder if God does not put problems in our lives that could be resolved through prayer. Just to see if we'll do it. Or if we'll just wait on the doctors and the nurses and the medicines and technology and everything else to answer. I think there are things that we come to in life where it can only be driven out by prayer. Jesus was, in the story, he didn't pray. He had prayed before the battle. He had gone to those lonely places and prayed. A couple of weeks ago, we'll finish with this story. You all know the story of Baby block, and we're all joining the blocks in prayer. And so uh, Wednesday night, we had a prayer session for them. And that was an Acts 4 moment. That room was shaken in prayer. And not too long after that, the blocks got the news that the little baby, I'm sorry if you don't know the story, um, there's some spinal deformities on the baby that, that Leslie has not yet had. And so they're trying to figure out <clears throat> what the problem is, and they're going to go have surgery on it. And one of the concerns was um, that there would be a 
uh, deformity or that there would be a genetic problem. Um, and so they did the amniocentesis test after the prayer meeting, and the results were all clear. Everything's good. Now they're still going to have to go and have the surgery and all of that. But when I first heard the news, I was shocked. And then I thought, come on, man. Is, is God ever going to get it through your thick skull? That he's good? That he hears? I think God, Jesus tried to teach us a lot about prayer. And so um, we're not going to get it all in tonight. But I, we will, in the next three lessons, be discussing. Um, next week we're going to talk about the demonstrated prayer. We'll take a break for Senior Sunday uh, on May 10th, we'll look at the characteristics of a decided prayer. These are for people like me who want to learn to be like the Christies and how they do it. And then the discipline prayer, the methodology of going about it. So I hope you'll join us. Thank you for coming back tonight. I know it's been a long weekend and everybody's tired. Um, but, but consider these thoughts on prayer. Jesus had a lot to not only teach us, but he had a lot to show us. If you are here tonight and you have not put on the Lord in baptism... Uh, a wonderful time to do it. Or if you need the prayers of the congregation, we'd love to help you. We'd love to pray with you. Um, because sometimes we face battles that can only be driven out by prayer. If you have any need, um, we'll, someone will be down front to meet you and to uh, meet your need. Please come if you need as we stand and sing.